Good morning. Welcome to today's WGO podcast. So today, um, focus on a couple of things. Uh, my son and I were watching a, a PBS documentary on um, Beyond Nuclear, I think it was called. I'll pull the title out. And it was about nuclear technology and which direction people should, humans should go with nuclear technology to generate electricity in light of the um, Fukushima Daiichi meltdowns, three core meltdowns that happened a couple years ago with that tsunami, with the earthquake and tsunami. And um, <clears throat> basically what got brought to light, and it stirred me up in a lot of different ways. Um, first of all, this is the field of engineering in general. And I've been really harsh on the way education's done in this country. And I've always had a little bit of a problem with the way it filters, tries to filter people out of certain fields, including engineering. You know, early on, through the gauntlet of school, and I'm sure critics would of that of me would would say that, um, well, how else are you going to do it? Well, that's a good question. One thing I've noticed, I've, I've been speaking with. Uh, a musician in Melbourne, Australia, and I noticed it when I went used to go up to Quebec a lot in Canada, um, and some of the interactions I've had with my last employer with folks that are out of Toronto area, or there's this baseline um, intelligence and attitude that seems to be higher in uh, in these places. Now maybe I've unfairly pulled out the, the quote New York cities of those areas. You know, maybe Melbourne and Sydney are the uh, New York and L.A. or New York and Chicago equivalents for Australia. I know Toronto has been been, been called the equivalent of the New York city of, of Canada. So in those areas, maybe you just get an average mindset an average intelligence that kind of bubbles up as a result of the people living in those areas. But I know that when I'm watching these documentaries and when I'm interacting with these people in the workplace, I, I, I'm noticing a trend. And, I'm, and I'd like to investigate it more. I'd like to figure out why does it seem. Like yesterday I was listening to BBC World Service on my radio and it was a bunch of youngsters that were interviewing uh, I think they called the show World Wide Webs, and they were interviewing tech giants, like this guy who invented the first um, the first cell phone. I wrote his name down. Let me see. What was his name? Marty Cooper. Marty Cooper. And the first thing I noticed, you know, it was a couple of these. There were a couple of these kids that did these interviews, and they all sounded really, really well-educated. And they were all between the ages of 15 and 20, I would say. And they all seemed to just be way, way, way better spoken. And more articulate and more detailed and more passionate about engineering and what engineering meant. As if it was being, it was permeating society differently. Engineering wasn't just uh, something you found out about when you got out of high school. Engineering was something that people gravitated towards as, very, as youngsters because they knew 
that it was about willing into existence ideas to make the world better. Big ideas and seeing it through to completion. So getting back to the PBS documentary, we're watching <clears throat> this um, Fukushima, Fukushima Daiichi reactor story and learn, you know, there's Japan was well on the way to 50% of their electricity needs being generated with nuclear. And the United States, I believe, is still around 20% now with our reactors. And there's hundreds of these things, like 400 of them around the world, it said. I'll get the exact number and clean me up in the comments if I'm wrong. <clears throat> but order of magnitude 400 or so of these reactors that have these issues with the waste and when they depending upon the design there if the power is cut and the cooling water can't continue they can have meltdowns which are catastrophic for the areas for thousands of years perhaps <clears throat> so in short it kind of recentered me on thinking about big challenges thinking about being an engineer, what it takes to be an engineer. And, you know, working towards arming uh, other people with the insights to be problem solvers in society and take on challenges and understand the fundamentals. And, you know, also permeate down to my kids and the homeschooling efforts. You know, it's like they don't have to be engineers but I kind of think the first thing maybe you should learn is how to be an engineer and what that is and the science and technology that, that underpins it. So we're going to double down some efforts there. Um, you know, Again, ideally, as I'm transitioning into a new job, ideally I can preserve as much time for these types of efforts as possible. I do think they're important. Not only does it does it make me happy doing that kind of work, you know, learning and understanding how things work, but in in articulating and organizing it for those behind me, my you know my kids, my family, and my country and the nation and the world at, at large, you know, by by sharing and being involved with <clears throat> trying to present insights and get people excited about being in the game. You know, I think I do you do a service there. I'm able to do a service. So yeah, and another another thing. I spent a lot of time on this podcast, hammering on people for being quote dumb and and just regurgitating what talking points they got from whatever TV silo they watch or news silo they watch on their phones. But when I watch these programs, like the, I watched another PBS documentary on Saturn. It's called The Planets, about Saturn. And when I watch that, the nuclear power one and others, I'm really reminded that there's a lot of really, there are a lot of really smart, insightful, thoughtful, well-spoken people out there too, a lot. And I never really felt like 
I haven't done a very good job in my life of networking with that crowd. And yes, I've networked some in my recent jobs, and I, you know, you, you got to tough it out. You know, when you come into it and you're kind of a dipshit, a village idiot, you got to be tough about it. But I think that my value isn't in knowing all the, of everything. My value is in is in um, challenging assumptions and looking at things through a different prism or different angle, or asking the quote dumb question, or getting you know correcting attitudes and stuff like that. That's the play for me. It's not the groundbreaking research all the time. Although, you know, my ego wants to participate in that too. All the time i got to get a coffee. All right, so coffee in hand. So long story short, and i got an interview coming up here in a minute, so i got to jump off this, this quick podcast today. But... It's the exploration of what, what's the culture, what's going on in, in particular, the UK, Australia, and Canada. And then I want to I investigate India and China as well at some point next. Um, and try to understand why, what was going on in, in Russia to produce such great engineers and scientists as well. So kind of do these dives, these cultural dives, and see, is it, is it, is it school? Or is it culture? Is it exposure to big ideas? Is it being or is it orientation? I'm curious about that because I'm I've, I've, I'm betting with my own family that it's not the school because the school is subject to um, stagnation and, and distraction and self-interest and and just kind of being um, a muddy mess. So I'm thinking that I. Um, I'm biased towards how you're oriented, oriented, meaning what is your worldview? What do you, how do you think the world works so that you can <clears throat> identify opportunities and identify um, passions and identify work that needs to be done for humanity and insert yourself into those insights, those cracks, and you, and you go there, you go, go with it. And it's always after that, it's just having your head in the game, working hard, having... Um, good ethics, you know, not being a liar, a cheat, you know, put an honest day's work for an honest day's pay. Be a contributor. Contribute. Don't be a taker. I think there's a lot of that that matters the most. Like, I'm rattling my brain when I'm watching this planetary video last night of the probes. You know, there was the Voyager probe that went to Saturn, and then there's the Cassini probe. And I'm like, oh my God, I never can do that. You know, I, I've, I've wasted so much time. I wasted my life. And then I'm thinking, and then I sleep. And I think this morning, I'm like, oh, wait a minute now. You could watch documentaries. You could build a new network in those areas. You could try to talk to experts that did it or were there. Try to get your arms around the, the, the uh, critical mass of where the game is. And then get a job in it. And then after that, it's just putting in the work. And if you want to go big and try to redesign something, you know, that's going to be costly and painful, but you can try that too. And so it's never too late. And you can't worry about what's done because it got you to where you are now. So you got to kind of roll with it, right? And I feel emboldened to put my engineer hat to do the brace systems for my kids. I, I sketched it out again yesterday. And, uh, you know, honestly, I'm just a terrible prototyper. I, I, I need... 
materials and ways to model things. And ideally, I think I'm learning how to draw it in 3D on, on a machine, like a uh, solid work or something like that, so that I can then um, kick that file to a, a 3D printer or some other manufacturing process to have it be lathed or built. And then you get into the materials. What are the different materials? What are the different qualities? How you can do the straps, the braces, the little gears on the side. Um, how's it going to grow over time? Does it have performance characteristics, weight characteristics, antibacterial characteristics? Is it washable? There's a lot of things to think about. Like inflatable splint design versus a mechanical exoskeleton might be sufficient for my kids. Just kind of get the leg, just gently nudge the leg back to the 180 and the 45. So, yeah, today's short and sweet. I really wanted to capture kind of the thought process. I've been working on several videos with my son. Um, I, I'm pretty sure a lot of the what's going on in humanomics are going to migrate to a video platform. There will be written works. You know, humanomics is... Um, you know, halfway written, but um, I think that people learn best when it's you know, when you think you know in a video compressed video format, so you can see it visually. So you get the audible. The audible works as a standalone. You get a written variant, but you also have the um, the audible or the visual the film. And I think those are important things to teach your kids, too. You know, like they're learning something, instead of doing a book report, they learn a written piece, they learn how to put things together, learn how to put a timeline together, learn how to shape the timeline into a film or a movie, um, watch other filmmakers or video documentarians and stuff to learn how the pros do it, add a lot of bells and whistles and details with software, bada-bing, bada-boom, you're in the game. All right, love you guys. Have a good day. Take care.